0: This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Ladies and gentlemen,
1: Billy Hallowell and Chris Field, the Church Boys, from the sublime,
0: So, uh, so Billy, anything? Happen- gay marriage is legal. <laughs> I'm just gonna say anything happening in the world today that we should talk about. I can't think of a thing to talk about.
2: Chris, gay marriage is legal. Um, a very boring week at the Supreme Court. Very s- week.
0: You screamed in your into your mic, and now all of our audio levels are messed up. Talking to the mic real quick. What's which like we- the country? <laughs> pull the microphone closer to you because when you screamed into it.
2: I'm, I'm, oh, am I close enough to the microphone? I feel like I scream into the microphone we so, once.
0: We are so oh. professional.
2: <laughs> but listen, the bottom line is oh, uh, we, are, we are in a fundamentally transformed America. That's the bottom line.
0: It is. and um, Boy, you and I were talking before the show as we were getting ready and I'm just thinking I could be fired up about this but I spent so many long, such a long time being fired up but maybe I'll get fired up again but like I've hit the point right now, like today, as we're recording, as we spent hours writing and discussing this stuff. Before we get to this, I'm just like, uh,
2: so disappointed. I mean, that, well, let's yeah. have full disclosure. I have uh, been off today, and I uh. very rarely will take a day off. Well, that's partially true, but I, t- I took <laughs> so, the day. So this is the guy
0: who's who's angling for six months of paid paternity leave.
2: I believe I believe in it. Let me tell you. And you know what? The Supreme Court is probably probably to- that. Well, yeah. The bottom, the bottom line, though, is that it was nice to be out of this for once. Usually oh. you're so in it, and I would have been the one reporting on it and covering it, one of the people reporting on it. And it was nice to be out of it and just watch, watch it. it. Yeah. But, you know, be careful if you ever use the word unity in a tweet oh. because I I offer I ask people to pray for unity, not meaning pray that everybody agrees, but just, like, don't damn everybody to hell. Don't Westboro yourself or, on the other side, don't hate on Christians. But right. apparently... I'm I'm wrong and evil and well, you vile. Are, for, well, you, you know. are wrong, evil, and vile, but not about that. <laughs> so what was
0: your call for unity? I didn't even, I didn't even see the tweet. What did you I, say? I was
2: like, just, you know, regardless of where you stood on the gay marriage decision, I don't remember the exact words, you know, pray for unity, don't attack each other, you know, don't attack each other and debate, you know, debate it. Don't hate on each other.
0: Yeah, but debate has gone out the window. We're not allowed to debate things anymore.
2: Well, I think, you know, listen, as long as we're in America, we're going to debate and we're going to have a discussion. And I think that the big fear people have on this is that it's going to shut down debate and discussion. And I, and I think that, yeah, that, that is a legitimate concern, regardless of where you stand.
0: And I think it's going to I think what I think they're scared of it shutting down debate and discussion. I think people have been scared of that for a while. The whole political correctness movement. That's what that is. That's people being scared. People are scared of the political correctness movement because they think that that's going to hurt them in debate. Like they can't have a debate anymore. Because they'll right. be accused of being a racist, be bigot, hurt. homophobe, whatever. But well, nobody's
2: allowed to have feelings hurt. You know, we live yeah. in this environment where if your feelings are hurt, you're somehow entitled well, to some sort of constitutional protection I from know, having your feelings I know, hurt. I know.
0: So uh, the you're other, so defeated. I'm sorry. You I <laughs> am. So the other thing, the other thing that people are scared of, and 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 you would be, and and you've you would acknowledge this, I'm sure. You would be feeling the same way I had if you'd been at work all day today. Oh, totally. I mean, it's just like I'm refreshed, and, and I, I I I don't want to <laughs> say defeated because I'm not defeated. I never feel defeated. However, I'm just disappointed right now, and I think it's one of those, you know, when you come down off a sugar high or off a caffeine high, right? Because we've been yeah. fighting this and debating it, and even just today, we're on a high and we're putting out stories and putting out things, and and then you get to this point. It's like, oh, it's you know, it's the afternoon, and we're going to record the show, and it's like I need energy to record the show, but I am spent. I am like emotionally spent. However, okay, the other area that people are scared, I think, and it's not just in the debate discussion area they're worried about. And I think this is the biggest concern, the religious freedom aspect, because that was never handled in the in the in the decision.
2: Yeah. And there was, uh, you know, on the side of the Obama administration, there was sort of a a comment and I don't remember it off the top of my head, but alluding to the fact that that was a concern and that. You know, certain religious institutions could run into problems. You know, I think the way that things have worked is if you're a 501c3 and you're a church or religious organization, um, let's start with churches. Churches have been the most protected. Religious organizations, however, um, you know, if we remember back to the Obamacare debate, were not very protected in the beginning. and, And that's been an ongoing battle for a lot of those institutions and organizations to be protected. So... You know, I, I mean, do we get to a point in this country, and I know that you know people would scoff at this and say it isn't true, where churches are threatened to lose their five hundred one c three status because they won't marry gay couples? I don't know. It's well, not absolutely. out of the realm of question. There's
0: there's no protection provided, and and I know that Glenn had some people on the show this morning from from <clears throat> Liberty Institute or whatever, uh, Shackelford and those other guys about um, religious protections being in this in this agreement that all five of the people in the justices and justices in the majority of this decision, all cited, all concurred with Kennedy's opinion that he wrote and that it allegedly included some religious freedom. And it, it doesn't really, uh, what, what it's read, what it says is, and he says, let me, let me find it here. This is, this is the part, and this is from, uh, Ed Morrissey wrote this up on hot air. He says, it's only on page 27 that Kennedy finally gets around to addressing the connection between church and state, and the assurances in this paragraph are less than compelling. He says, this is Kennedy. Finally, it must be emphasized that religions and those who adhere to religious doctrines may continue to advocate with utmost sincere conviction that by divine precepts, same-sex marriage should not be condoned. So really, what he's saying is that Kennedy is only mentioning that houses of worship and those who attend them can advocate against condoning same-sex marriage. That's but it. what
2: about business owners? What about individuals? I mean, but this is But it's not even
0: standing up, it's oh. not even standing up. understand, it's not even standing up a, it's not a legal protection to stand up against gay marriage. It is the those who attend uh houses of worship and those who attend them can still advocate against condoning same-sex marriage. It's not standing up against same-sex marriage, it's saying, I shouldn't have to condone this.
2: Can I, I want to say something that you might disagree with, but I do wonder, okay, at this point, right, because it's settled, it's over, gay marriage is legal across the country. What I wonder is if Christians have spent too much time, partially because of their own fault, partially because of of needing to be on the defensive, too much time trying to fight against gay marriage, that the theology arguments have sort of fallen secondary to that fight. Now, pending... None of this stuff gets any weirder with religious freedom. and you know, does, that, does that free Christians up to have more of a discussion now about the theology? This is the, me being they, idealistic. They,
0: but, well, uh, it might, but the problem is that the theology doesn't matter anymore because all the people care about is what they're allowed to do or what they have the right to do now. It, theology doesn't enter into it. Listen, the people with whom we disagreed on the gay marriage thing, theology didn't enter into their discussion anyway, and that's why we took it in a non-theological route, I think in a large part. I mean, they 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 rejected our theology. Our theology didn't give us grounds for standing in, in their
3: minds.
2: You know, I mean, listen, I think that it becomes problematic, and you may disagree with me on this front, too, it becomes problematic to say we are going to ban the rights that come along with marriage, right, the benefits that come along with marriage. I'm not talking about the title of marriage. I'm talking about the benefits. It becomes problematic to, for the government to do that to a degree because— of the first amendment. And I'm going to sound like the freedom from religion foundation here, but it is, it is an interesting argument to say, if you were to do that and to say you can't have any benefits, you are then basically saying we are choosing a religious construct through which to see marriage. And that's because marriage marriage is
0: not a religious construct. Atheists get married. Heterosexual atheists get married. It's not a religious construct, but that's my point. It's a human institution that has been around forever between a man and a woman. I, and listen, and I agree the with you, the my point the is... Li- you're actually making that, my point, though. The fact that the line exists and people ex- people live outside those lines does not mean that they're being discriminated against. So they've chosen not to be within this parameter of this particular definition. It's and not a and I agree with you.
2: Dis- look, when you break it down and you try to figure out, well, why are we keeping it within that definition, it's hard to get away from religion being the reason why we're keeping it within that definition. So my point would be... And I know that gay activists would never want this. Not calling it marriage, calling it something else with the benefits of it, I think is a middle ground on this.
0: But, but the, I, I still would disagree in that it's not simply a religious construct because atheists get married.
2: Agreed Straight again. but I think to not allow to not allow, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, right. to not allow same-sex people to get to get the benefits of marriage, not necessarily the title of marriage. There is no reason to not allow them to do that outside of religion. So by, no, no, so no. If,
0: but, but, the, but the answer to that is, is there truth or isn't there? Is there truth or isn't there? Now, you're going to say, well, it's based on your religious worldview. Well, but my religious worldview aff- uh, reflects truth. It doesn't establish truth. And the truth is marriage is man-woman. That's it. That's the well only I, thing listen that exists. you know I agree right. I, but that, but that's why it's not simply a theological point it's a it's an ultimate truth point if you want to redefine marriage as more than just man and woman then you also need to redefine two plus two is seven or four or three or 17 or the letter Q if you want to keep renaming things and keep changing what facts are the marriage definition has no bind, has no binding anyway you're going to ignore what truth is you don't give a rat to end about any of the other truths either then.
2: Well, these agreements, you know, it, listen, it's complicated, but I, I do think I do see from that side, it's somewhat of an interesting argument. I know you don't agree with it, but, but my point would be that I think marriage in the eyes of the Bible, it's very clear what marriage is. It's very clear that it's between a man and a woman. All of that is very clear. The government now owns marriage. Marriage was handed over to the government. The government has decided to change that definition. And it is going to be very interesting to see what that means for those who oppose yeah. gay marriage.
0: Yeah. So, I,
2: well... Like Franklin Graham, for instance. And for
0: instance. Well, let me get to Franklin in just a second, though. <laughs> I, think, I think what you nailed, and I hadn't thought about it quite this way, but I, I had, but not... You said the government now owns marriage, and it has for a long time when we gave it over to the government, and the government gets to decide what it is. And that... I could understand that legal argument for the same-sex marriage thing. That's listen, sort of my point. right? The government gets to decide. What, if the government owns it, then the government gets to decide what it is. That said, I also always get to criticize the government and its decisions, and I don't have to believe everything that they do. However, the problem comes in, and this is where the religious thing enters and the Franklin Graham thing enters, and that is that no matter what the government, what I say about the government, I can have, I'm protected in my speech rights to say what I want about the government. I can't not do what the government tells me without facing the consequences of those decisions. So now, if the government's going to force us to recognize same-sex marriage, then I have to also recognize, I'll, my pastor then has to recognize it if he's going to be an agent of the state in order to marry people. He's got to do that. My, my church has to do it. If my church over, now listen, if it's going to be a part of the civil rights thing, you're, I've heard people argue, well, you're going to lose your, your tax-exempt status. It's going to be worse than that. Yes, lose, churches will lose their tax-exempt status, but if I'm a business... Let's look at the civil rights thing, and this is where the where the same-sex marriage crowd wants to take it. Look at the civil rights thing. If I'm a business that won't serve black people, the government comes down on me, doesn't it? If I'm a church, I've decided, you know what? Forget the 501c3 nonprofit status. We're just a regular church. We're just preaching the gospel. We're gonna turn down uh, people same-sex marriages. We're not gonna marry same-sex couples. The government's gonna come down now. It doesn't matter that they aren't 501c3 anymore. That won't matter to the government. And the fact is the tax status isn't gonna have anything to do with it.
2: I need to stop you for a minute because this is I just got a, a press release while we're while we're I'm doing the show here, and it's from the National Religious Broadcasters, which is a group of we've talked about them on the show yeah, before you, fact, religious you, you broadcasters.
0: We're there. Yeah.
2: Their statement on this is actually one of the strongest. This is the first line of their statement. N R B is repulsed by the Supreme Court's wow. decision today to undermine the institution of marriage by imposing quote gay marriage nationwide. Wow! Now that hey, you have is somebody, a strong statement. Do you have somebody there we could call? You know, I, not that we'd be able to get on the line now. Are you sure? Actually, I don't. I don't want to put them on the spot without letting them know beforehand. Well, text them. We can call them in the next break if they're willing to come on. All right, let's let's try to do that. Let's okay, try to text do. That. Them I'm gonna I'm gonna willing. email my contact right now.
0: Okay. So anyway, so um, what was I saying? I don't even remember. I told you, I told you before we started. You know, it's this, feel free to go on bird walks. We'll go back to where we started. I don't even remember where I was. It doesn't. We were
2: going to go to Franklin Graham. Oh yeah, Franklin reaction. Graham.
0: So what did Graham say today?
2: Franklin Graham has been talking about this for weeks, encouraging people to pray for the Supreme Court. But basically he said, and and I'll just read a quote here, With all due respect to the court, it did not define marriage, and therefore it is not entitled to redefine it. Long before our government came to existence, marriage was created by the one who created man and woman, Almighty God, and his decisions are not subject to review or revision by any man-made court. That's just a part of it. That's good. Yeah, it's been shared over, it's been liked over 200,000 times, wow. and it's been thousands of comments, it's been shared over 106,000 wow. times. Um,
0: oh, here's, okay, so here's, here's his, clo- I found it. it's here's this closing line, I pray God will spare America from his judgment, though by our actions as a nation, we give him less and less reason to do so.
2: Wow. Mm. Wow. You know, I think... We are, when I look at the world, I feel like we're living in very chaotic times. I think, you know, it's almost like there's a cloud of chaos everywhere. And I, and I think, you know, gay marriage for a lot of people is another symptom of that. I think for a lot of other people, they see it as, uh, you know, people are being liberated. They're being given equality. I have friends who are gay who were text messaging me today and, say, and giving me their opinion on it. You know, I, I think that Christians do need on this issue... To approach it from a perspective of saying, how does God want me to react to this and not how do I want to react to something that I feel... People take this very personally. They feel like they were personally wronged by this, that they were slapped by the government by this. But you can't react that. You need to react as a Christian. And my fear is that we don't always do that. And I'm guilty of that sometimes too.
0: Let me see. How, how do I want to say this? I think that we have to react in Christ-like ways all the time, right? There's, there is... There are mixed interpretations of what that looks like. It's always got to be loving and it's always got to be caring. It's always got to tell the truth, but in a loving way. You and I might sometimes disagree on how that looks. I, I, it's the whole Jared Walsh, uh, excuse me, Jared, what's uh, Matt Walsh and Jared, what's his name? What's his name? Wilson. Oh, Wilson, sorry. Jared, Jared Wilson. Wilson. <laughs> the, the debate they had. It's like, no, it's, this is what loving Christ-like d- debate looks like. And someone else says, no, this is what loving Christ-like debate. And the fact is, you have to be kind, you have to be loving, but you sometimes have to be firm. And I think we can't stop arguing or debating or whatever the gay marriage issue. I, you know, Matt, In fact, speaking of Matt Walsh, he has a piece that went up this <coughs> afternoon. He's on vacation, but he still wrote a piece. Of course, this is what he does. And he's got a piece in there. He says, people might say it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter now, the the debate over gay marriage doesn't matter now because the supreme beings, the supreme court, have spoken. But I happen to think the truth always matters, despite what any judge says, despite the prevailing opinion, despite the surveys and the polls and the consensuses. The truth still matters. If it doesn't, then nothing matters and life is pointless. Your existence has no meaning if the truth is irrelevant. There's no reason for you to be on this planet if there's no truth worth fighting for and i thought he was spot on and his whole column i I urge you to read it It, it's headlined gay marriage still doesn't exist no matter what the supreme court says it's got a lot of good stuff in there but the fact is you still got to stand up for the truth even when you get beat down in the courts you still stand up for what's right
2: yeah and i think you know listen this is one of those supreme court cases that people are going to be talking about forever it's the roe versus wade of our generation i think and you know, I, I think there will be some differences in how this is received. I think Roe versus Wade did nothing to settle the issue. No. I do think the the, the difference with, with this issue is that I think abortion is a little more complicated. It's dealing with taking life. Um And this issue is going to be further instituted by Hollywood, further instituted by the media, further instituted by education systems. And I think all of that is going to create a situation where in my view and correct me if i'm wrong i think this will be a 70 30 issue you'll have 30% of the country that doesn't move away from its views on this yeah. being in opposition and you'll have about 70 who says they have no problem with it right. um and I, and eventually it might sway back but that's going to be where we land on I this i think
0: i think where we're going to i think where i would disagree on your numbers i don't <laughs> disagree on your idea of what the attitude of the people will be regarding this i as far as if this is where it stopped right now right the problem is this isn't where it's going to stop. If the government starts going against the churches and against religious organizations and against the mosques and the synagogues and the, and the Catholic churches and the, the evangelicals and any other religious organization that says that marriage is one man, one woman who's not closely related, uh, if the government's going to go against them and find against them, then this is never going to go away not until the church is forced to go away. And then, even then, it won't because the church would just go underground. And then you see the persecution of... I mean, I'm not predicting the persecution of the church, but if the church is forced to go underground and there is an actual persecution of the church, every time we see a persecution of the church, the faith grows. And that's just how it is. But you know, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this. That's just...
2: I think Christians need to figure out how to live with this the same way they had to figure out how to live with Roe versus Wade. And that doesn't mean accepting it in terms of not speaking out against right. it. It means finding a way to speak into the culture that resonates with people, that doesn't turn people away, that sticks to truth while doing it with love instead of only sticking to truth or only sticking to love. There's got to be a middle ground on this. And I think I totally agree. You know people have to be thoughtful about this. They have to figure it out. We are not living, this is not going to be anymore the comfortable, oh, it's easy to be a Christian in America, and to be honest with you, the type of America we've lived in is one traditionally where faith has been valued, faith has been allowed, people have loved it, not that faith isn't going to be allowed, but I think we've left that era now, and, you know, we, uh, of course, faith is always going to be in better standing in America than it is in other places around the world, but it's a new era, so people need to adapt. All right. (sighs) I just wanted a tirade. But I, just, I just need a hug. You get
0: it. <laughs> i just kidding. I don't need a hug. There's,
2: I, I say we skip breaks today. Why? Are we, no commercial breaks today. No commercial breaks? All okay, right, fine. That's fine. In the spirit of gay marriage, <laughs> no commercial breaks. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's a, um,
0: a PBS fundraiser. Okay, no breaks today. There you go, people. No breaks today. Well, we'll take a break just before we get our special interview on. How about we, yes. we do that? No, that we don't even sense. need to do that. You know what? We don't even need to do that. Uh, look at you. Look at that. Executive decision. We're going commercial. Commercial. Divine fielder venture. We're going commercial break free today.
2: I say I, honestly, I think we need to talk about the farm owners here because this is What's part farm, of. Tell me what the farm owner's
0: story is. I'm just so my mind is a million different places. Tell me what the farm owner's story. You're is.
2: You're thinking of moving to Belgium, aren't you? Where where doctor-assisted suicide for mental anguish is permitted. Uh, That's a okay, whole other so, story.
0: Okay the 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 whole legalized assisted suicide thing because there's a big push for it. There was a big story about that this week too was it in the New York times or someplace in the New Yorker and the, was it the New Yorker where there's a big push for it? And they're looking at the state of Oregon, how Oregon's had it for like 10 or 15 years. And you know, there hasn't been an abuse of that because the argument, one of the many arguments against euthanasia assisted suicide is that, okay, so then who's going to start picking who to have kill themselves. Right. I mean, it's going to start going after
2: people who are dullards and poor and these kinds of things. And the, the sick. Yeah, but the reason that it hasn't that hasn't happened in America is because religion and and faith has remained if you go to a place like Belgium, I did a story this
0: week. Religious bigots won't let people kill themselves or people hire people to kill them?
2: I think that I think that our culture is not as denigrated and, and obliterated quite yet as in Belgium where they're euthanizing people yeah. who have mental illness yeah. and people who are depressed. That is when it's becoming abu- when it's become and abused it's, and humanism has taken over there. And so I re- it makes sense. Yeah, and I really don't
0: understand the whole assisted suicide argument in America. Listen. I I'm anti-suicide also. I consider it murder, frankly. Okay? You know, people would say, well, if you kill yourself, you're only killing yourself. Listen, I get that argument. I think it's stupid. I think it's vacuous. And I think it's ignorant. Okay. But let me just give you that one. Let's just say that I agree with you on that. Since when in America are we allowed? to? And I think I mentioned this last time. Since when in America are we allowed to hire hitmen? That's what euthanasia is.
2: You tried to do it to me. I mean, why don't we tell the.
0: No, I listen. That's what euthanasia is. That's that's what it is. You're hiring a hitman to kill somebody.
2: I think that yeah, you know, the Brittany Maynard thing sort of pushed a lot of this over the edge for people. If you look at Gallup, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the majority of the country does support legalization of euthanasia now. Um, <clears throat> really, I mean, they give you a pill, they subscribe, they prescribe a pill to you. You you take it, two pills, and end your life. It I, to me, I mean, listen, if you're at your end end stage and you're in the hospital, they might give you a little more morphine to put you out of your misery. That's different to me. Then picking a day, okay, um, and saying I'm going to die on Tuesday, when you're still when you still have your faculties. I think when somebody is at their end stage and you're trying to keep them out of pain and you administer more of the drug to sort of expedite a process that might happen in an hour versus five minutes, fine.
0: So let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. If if I get if I know
2: that if I
0: Okay, this is a dream world. I understand that. If I know that you, Billy, want to kill yourself. I shouldn't say a dream world. That makes it sound cruel. <laughs> this that is a, actually this, sounded really okay, awkward. This is a made-up scenario, <laughs> obviously. If I knew that you, Billy, wanted to shoot kill yourself, shoot yourself, and I gave you a gun to go ahead and do that, and instead of killing yourself, you went and shot your wife, would I have any repercussions against me? Most likely I would, wouldn't I? I well, gave yeah. you a gun to kill, to kill yourself, but you used it to kill someone else. If I'm a doctor and I give the person the two pills to kill to kill themselves, and they wind up, you know, dropping it in their spouse's, uh, you know, you know, iced tea,
2: and kills them,
0: am I am I liable in any way?
2: Well, I would I would I would think. I mean, I mean and, and
0: the hitman the hitman is kill the hitman. If if I if if you hire me to kill to kill Andrea. Not that I'm advocating doing that. But if you were to hire me to do that, I would be arrested for even being part of a plot to kill Andrea. Even though I hadn't done anything, it was a part of a plot to kill an innocent person. I would be being prosecuted for killing an innocent person. For trying, even plotting and talking about it. But if you hired me to kill you, no harm done. You know, I mean,
2: listen... I think this is another one of those issues that is sort of like, well, if you really want to die, why are you dragging someone else along with you um, for that yeah. process? I think, you know, listen, really the pharmacist at this point becomes the, because I think that they prescribe the drug and you go and you get it. Yeah. Um, imagine accidentally giving that drug to somebody as a pharmacist. Oh, geez. Well, but that's,
0: that's the other thing is that, okay, so here's, I asked my libertarian friends, why shouldn't I be able to buy
2: that over the counter? What would they say? I don't know. You I mean, should ask them because I don't, I don't ask know. them too. I mean, would you buy that with marijuana or not? How would that work? Would you? You really want to go <laughs> has, back there? again? It
0: has to be a separate purchase.
2: <laughs> separate purchase.
0: Okay, so um, I, I, I I I got off I got off track here. You were going to talk about some farm,
2: right? Some. Nuts, I'm going to make this farm. one quick because we are nearing the oh, end of our our rant before our our interview. But and this has been, not been, this
0: has not been a funny episode, by the way.
2: No, you're very depressed. I mean, it's. All right. I mean, go, we're.
0: Let to see if I can think of something fun to do.
2: Go ahead and tell the story. Make a fart joke, or something. I don't know. All right. So, bottom line is, this farm in New York, which the blaze, we've been covering this for a while. I think back in October was the last time we covered it. Liberty Ridge Farm. It's owned by a couple named Cynthia and Robert Gifford. They are Christians. It's a farm where they have all sorts of activities, but they also host events. And until recently, <clears throat> they were hosting weddings. Now, a lesbian couple from New Jersey went there. I think back in 2002. Requested to have their wedding there, the couple said, "You can have your reception here. That's fine, but we do not host gay wedding ceremonies." So they didn't turn them away totally. Right. They said, "Hey, you can have your reception, but we don't do we don't do that here. We're Christians, whatever." Of course, they're taken they're taken to the Human Rights Board no, in New course, York State. Naturally, they lose their case and they're fined thirteen thousand dollars. Now they're fighting this because they've had to stop doing all weddings because they will not do gay weddings. So they've stopped doing weddings totally. They're fighting this, and we had a story up on the blaze last week about their appeal um, because they did have to pay that thirteen thousand dollars out. And I think, if I'm not, let me just pull it up because I have it in front of me. I think ten thousand of it, ten thousand of that thirteen went to, to, no, okay, no, the ten thousand was a fine, and the three thousand went went to the couple for damages. And the accusation, what they were found guilty of, was quote sexual orientation discrimination.
0: So here's my, so wait so when did when did they turn them down for a same-sex wedding
2: 2012 because same-sex okay. marriage was legal in 2011 in, 2011. in New York okay. interesting well so okay yeah, we so, had gay
0: marriage then so, so now now what about you know polygamous weddings
2: well I would imagine that you can't turn people away it's a in good fact,
0: question in fact Justice Roberts, the same, the same Justice Roberts who the day before were blasting, right, for all his, Obam- his Obamacare idiocy, which it was idiocy. He rewrote the law. He rewrote it beyond the intentions of the legislature when they passed it and when the president signed it, okay? The, the, the next day after his terrible Obamacare I- I- opinion, he writes, and all four justices who dissented wrote their own dissents and then they joined each other and that sort of thing. But, just, but Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts had one where he talks about, hey, listen, how is this not going to lead to polygamy? <laughs> he says, uh, from the standpoint of history and tradition, a leap from opposite sex marriage to same sex marriage is much greater than one from a two person union to plural unions, which have deep roots in some cultures around the world. If the majority of the Supreme Court is willing to take the big leap, it's hard to see how it can say no to the shorter leap. I mean, even, you know, even the Supreme Court guys are saying this is if this is you're what's
2: if you're yeah, a polygamist, Thomas, you're looking at
0: that well, and in, you're wondering. But you know what? Oh, absolutely. In fact, there's a political. I don't know if I sent it to you. I sent it to the staff. There's an actually political magazine put out an article this afternoon saying it's time to legalize polygamy. It's the same crowd that years ago told us we're bigots and were haters for even mentioning that gay marriage is a slippery slope to polygamy. Right. Now they're already writing articles that polygamy should be
2: legalized. And I'll tell you, all right. Clarence
0: Thomas was all over this kind of stuff folks, back in Lawrence v. Texas. He said this... Folks, oh, no, sorry,
2: Folks, you can't see this right now, but Chris Field has actual smoke coming out of his left ear.
0: I'm going to lose my <laughs> mind. The I mean, Thomas Clarence Thomas was all over this in, in Lawrence v. Texas years ago that, that outlawed anti-sodomy laws. Listen, and his point was, listen, a stupid law, just because a law is a stupid law doesn't mean it's something we should deal with as the Supreme court that we should be throwing it out. And he says, this will lead to gay marriage. And that was his final point. And it did. So I, I was reading uh, all a pundit over at hot air and he's, he's got a headline about Roberts. Justice Roberts says, I can't help but think that this decision opens the door of polygamy and uh, all the pundit writes, Well, I could ever give Roberts that idea. And he reads, then he quotes justice Kennedy's closing paragraph, which is just a bunch of idiocy. And all a pundit writes of it. That's a lot of gauzy schmaltz. <laughs> gauzy schmaltz for a high court decision. I mean, really, you got to read it. I think everybody should read it. So, Billy is waving its arms. <laughs> Are you flexing? Is that what you're doing? Well, I don't get what you're doing. Um, I think it's you, time to air oh, our oh, interview. To, oh, that's right. We have a special interview coming for you today. Now, when we got done with this interview, Billy was accusing me of wanting to go pick out drapes with this person. But we have a very special interview coming up. <laughs> We're gonna play it next, and it's with uh, it's with Joe Bonsell with um with the Oakridge Boys. Uh, he's got a new book out called "On the Road with the Oak Ridge Boys," and uh, he was kind enough to sit with us uh, this week and and have an interview with us. And it actually went even longer than we had anticipated. And I just love that man. And he we became fast friends. And I got uh, anyway. You'll you'll understand why Billy thought that maybe I was. A little bit in love, so uh, take a listen. A lot of it. <laughs> Shut up! I'm trying to play the interview here.
2: It's Billy Hollowell here with the Church Boys, and I'm here with Chris Field, and we have, as always, a great interview for you guys today. Uh, we've got Joe Bonzel from the Oak Ridge Boys. How you doing, Joe?
1: I'm doing good, Billy. Chris, great to talk to you guys. Good talk. Good to talk
0: to you, Joe. It's it's. It's funny I was telling Billy when he told me we were going to have this interview I said you don't know what this means to me now I'm I'm not old enough to be you know steeped in a whole lot of Oakridge boys uh, uh facts but yeah. I, my my father uh is a, is in a his own gospel quartet in a small town here and uh he and his group always would sing Oakridge boy songs or they would they would listen to Oakridge boys so we grew up stuck stuck listening to listening to Oakridge boys and you guys became such a huge part of our lives as kids. It was, as a guy, anyway. I was telling Billy, it's like, this is talking like a, to a major celebrity, Billy. Like, we have reached, you know, prime time now.
1: <laughs> well, let me tell you something, Chris. I really, what you just said, I think is very relevant. Because to me, the reason the Oak Ridge boys are still around, and the reason we're still able to function at a very high level, even at our age, is because as an American music group, We've been passed down, man, from generations, you know. Yeah. You hear it all the time. My grandfather loved the Oaks. Granddaddy played it for his son. His sons played it for their kids, right. and their kids play the Oaks for their kids. It's like we're passed down like an old shirt or something. <laughs> and and I, I really think that when I look out at the audience at night, of course, you know, we're older now, so our, our audience skews a little older now, I think, too. But a lot of these people have followed us for decades, yeah. and their kids and their kids. Follow us for decades. I've heard people say, you know, the first song my three-year-old learned to sing was Elvira. Sure, and and she's thirty-eight now. And or I've heard our first song I've heard our little girl sing at three years old was Elvira, and here she is, and she's three years old. <laughs> you, that time span, man, is pretty doggone incredible, and it's it's really yes. a blessing uh, to to be in the position that we're in, and to. Be still a forward-thinking music act that tries to do things right and gets out there and puts on a a really good show every night. I mean, everybody, like I said, we're not the new kids on the block anymore, like I say in the book, but everybody's feeling good and singing good, and, and I always give Jesus Christ the honor, the praise, and the glory for this, because it could easily not be the case.
2: Right, well, and well, that's it's rare, and it's that's so rare to have decades upon decades of, I mean, success, and I mean, you said, we were talking before we, we went on the air, and, and over 100 dates, what was it, 150 dates you said you guys do a year?
1: Yeah, over the course of the year. Some months are lighter than others. You know, like We just are going through a devastating June right now. I yeah. think we've had five days off in June. But July is better. July, I think we've got like nine shows in July. The rest of that, we're home. August gets busier, and from September through our annual Christmas tour, it's just gangbusters. Yeah. So, uh, and we ease into the year. So we've, we've been doing it so long, we've learned how. But yes, we do play about 150 dates a year, and uh, and we've always done that. I don't know when we haven't. And that's there's crazy. there's never no slowing down in this bunch.
0: Well, and and Joe, it's a testament to a whole lot of things that it's passed down from generation to generation. You guys continue to have the success not simply because you've um, of because of tradition of people handing it down. I mean, that's a that is a key, that is a help. But they're passing down something that's worthwhile, right? I mean, they're passing they're passing down music that's good music that can cross over from generation to generation,
1: <clears throat> and... Well, you know, the Oak Ridge Boys, I call us an American music group. Yeah. Our roots are steeped in heri- the heritage of Southern gospel. That's where we all learn to sing. Right. We've had this incredible country music career where we were now inducted into the Country Hall of Fame. We're also Congratulations. in the music. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Also in the Gospel Music Hall of Fame. There's only four other artists that are in both Hall of Fames.
0: That's pretty amazing.
1: Can you name me one?
0: I, well, uh, no.
1: Elvis. That's amazing. Elvis? Yeah, Elvis is in the Gospel and the Country Music Hall of Fame, and the Rock and Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, so there you go. That's pretty I don't decent think we're good, Well, I don't think we have a chance of being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
2: <laughs> well, you never know. I mean, you never know. Yeah. You guys could, I mean, you guys have got another, you know, four decades to, uh, <laughs> to produce yeah, great yeah, music. Yeah, we do,
1: I guess. <laughs> you know, you don't know how much longer you have, but then again, none of us do, do we?
0: Well, yeah, and I mean, you, th- you think about things as they cycle through, and Bill Golden, 20 years ago couldn't have told you that the Duck Dynasty beard fad would come back. What he? could he?
1: He couldn't have told you that the Duck Dynasty people would make him an honorary Robertson. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to ask you did. And you know what's kind of funny and I write this in the book. Uh people are always comparing his beard to the Duck Dynasty or ZZ Top. Right. Actually Golden has a better beard than all of them.
3: Yeah, oh yeah. I agree. Yeah, in fact, I
0: totally. He's agree.
1: got the best beard there is, man. I mean, he like you know, he brushes that thing and looks at it and stares <laughs> at birdie. it. It's He sleeps with it outside the cover so it can breathe.
0: <laughs> so I, I got—I got to tell you—I was telling—I was talking to Billy before we—before we, before we <laughs> called you—and I said, "Have you seen Bill?" Because you know, I'm—I'm I'm from the country. I mean, I live in the country. I grew up in the country, farming and all that kind of stuff. And Billy's a city slicker, New York. You know you know, hoity toity elitist. <laughs> and, um, so I was telling him about, you know, my love of the Oak Ridge boys and growing up with you guys and about Bill Golden. And he didn't, he didn't realize who Bill Golden was exactly. I mean, I Bill, once I showed him the picture, he's like, Oh, so, but I told him, I said, I, I gotta, I gotta ask. And so I'm going to ask you and I'm going to ask this. I'm going to ask as nice as I can. What kind of critters are living in Golden's beard?
1: Well, actually I don't I, I think he takes such good care of it keeps it so clean and groomed I don't think a critter could get in there <laughs> but if one did you wouldn't see it no the guy's it, a definitely would friend. be it, it definitely would be camouflaged so so what <laughs> so what has been and along you know along with the beard came he went from being bill golden when when the beard came he became William Lee golden oh yeah so he he like transformed his whole persona when that when he started growing that beard yeah yeah he's I mean it's well anyway. So I gotta, I have, well, very few, people know, very few people know this, and I didn't write this in the book, but the reason he started growing that beard is he was hanging out with a bunch of mountain men. He's in the mountain men organization, and he used to go up to this thing in Indiana where they all go out there and live in the raw for like a week. Wow. And, and, and you know, just live off the land and, 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 and do that kind of thing. And all those guys had beards, and he didn't. So he decided to start growing his beard back then, and it just stayed with him, and he just quit cutting it, and he's never cut it since in like 30 that some years. That sounds
2: like a reality show, living off the land for a week.
1: That sounds <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah, and it could it could be. Golden is a reality show. I mean, you oh, can just yeah. follow him around every day, and, <laughs> and you, you can have a pretty successful show, So, I
0: <laughs> So i got to ask you, I mean, we talked about the career you guys have had, and I, I do want to get into your book, and I sure. you know Billy's got some questions, too. What has been the key to you guys keeping your voices
1: and your sound? Well, you know... That, that that's a good question, and everybody does still sing really well, which is really cool. I mean, I got to tell, um, tell you,
0: I got to tell you, I like we're talking to you now on the phone, and you sound your your speaking voice at least sounds the same to me as it did if I listen to 20-, 30 year old you know uh, interviews yeah. with you.
1: Well, again, I think I'm very blessed. I did have a little vocal trouble one time, and I had to go on a month vocal rest. I didn't have polyps or nodes or anything, thank God, didn't need an operation, but I had gotten sick, and we had a four week trip that went all the way through the Midwest up into Canada, singing almost every night, kinda like the Christmas tour is. And even though I was a little sick I still pushed it hard every night and I did injure my vocal cords. Mm. And that's the only time though in all these years that I've been singing and I'm sixty seven years old. I joined the Oaks at twenty five. Yeah. I've been an Oak Ridge boy like, just about my entire life wow. or you know what you know, so far. And um, that was the only time I've ever had any problem. The key is is uh, is Looking after yourself, getting a good night 's sleep the the voice is not electronic when you do a big show at night, when you come off stage, your voice is a little tired you got to get to sleep you can't uh, you got to rest it up as long as you can keep doing that and look after yourself, try to take care of yourself physically and mentally. then I think the voice can hold up for you, and I think the four of us are very fortunate that we 're singing like we do I mean golden, you mentioned william lee golden he 's nine years older than me, and his voice is stronger than ever, yeah. When he goes stomping out on stage at night and says, I feel like singing all night, he ain't kidding. Yeah. He has that great constitution. I always joke around, I want to be him someday. Right. But, uh, but you know, everybody's singing good. Dwayne Allen is one of the smoothest, greatest singing talents ever. Yep. And I think as Richard has gotten older, his bass voice has gotten even richer and fuller. I agree. And if that's possible, because the guy, you know, he's incredible talent anyway. And me, I just do what I do over there in the end and try to add some energy to it. And uh, we. Uh, We somehow keep romping and stomping, man.
0: That's amazing. So a lot of a lot of groups and bands that that reach your level of success also deal with and and maybe this is in your in the book. We haven't had a chance to read it yet, but um a lot of bands that have your level of success succumb to a lot of uh temptations, whether it's uh whether it's sexual temptations or um substance abuse, those types of Mm -hmm. things. Is that something that y'all have dealt with uh, as, a, as a group? Is it something you guys, uh, you know, we haven't had this problem because we, we vowed to each other we wouldn't let it be a problem? What, how have you guys dealt with that kind of, that side of success?
1: I am so thrilled to be able to tell you that our story is a boring one to maybe a lot of readers That's because great. we have not had these problems. Wow. The, the Oak Ridge boys have had incredible upbringings. I dedicate that book to our four mothers.
3: Hmm.
1: It's in the front, all four Oak Ridge boys' moms. I could have added our fathers, too. Because we were lucky enough to have parents that brought us up the right way. We were all lucky enough to have Jesus Christ in our lives. And all of these things working together, I think, is what has helped mold the Oak Ridge boys and keep us on the positive side of things all of these years. That's why we're still singing good. That's why we're still an entity, I believe, because we have honored God. We've honored this country. We've honored our veterans. We've honored the right way of doing things. There's a chapter in the book called The ORB Doctrine. In the ORB doctrine, you'll read that you can make the music business any way you want, as hard as you want or as easy as you want. You can show up at a date and just pretty much upset everybody in your circumference of being by being demanding, by being a butthole, by, by just being not right egotistically. How about this? The Oakridge Boys show up at the State Fair, and we've probably been there 10 times before. They know when the Oaks get there, there's going to be no problems everything will have been covered before we got there every t every i everything's covered our people have everything just right there's no surprises the is put the band and crew is going to get there they're going to set up and be nice to everybody the oakridge boys are going to get there shake a bunch of hands smile and laugh have fun do a big show shake hands again and get on the bus and go it can be that easy mm-hmm. and that's how the oakridge boys operate what we do and I, I think it's christ-centered man yeah. it's the way we were brought up my mama told me my mom and dad were both world war ii veterans i wrote a book on their lives called gi joe and lily a couple yeah, years ago i saw that and my father my father was uh, at the first round of attack at d-day fought through the hedgerows got hit hard in saint Lo, france my mother was the woman's army corps whack that met him when he got home and they got married three days later they're both buried in arlington today my mother would tell me son You can be anything you want to be if you treat people right, if you put Christ first in your life, if you Mm. tell the truth and be willing to work your tail off, because that's what it takes. You can succeed, and you can be anything you want to be. And she'd always point at my daddy and say, that's why guys like him did what they did. So don't you blow it. Mm. Well, I've tried my best all these years not to blow it, because my mother was right. Yeah.
2: When you look out and you see, I mean, and it's amazing. I love that you say it's a boring story, because I think that's the kind of story you want to hear you know, when you're talking to people in Hollywood or people who are in music, so many times you're hearing these awful stories of things they've had to overcome. Even people who go in as Christians, so many of them struggle for for a variety of reasons, for whatever reason. Um, when you sort of look at where we are right now, just, I mean, <clears throat> as a culture, and I think a lot of that actually comes from Hollywood and comes from music, you know, do you have concerns? How do you feel when you sort of just look at the, I guess general layout of of how things have gone in the in the past couple of years culturally in this country.
1: My biggest concern is that the young people today may not be <clears throat> may not have been taught the same things my mother taught me. I I fear today sometimes that our young people don't know what it took to free, make this country the free great nation that it is. As our World War II guys are dying off now. Um, I think a lot of kids aren't going to learn about the sacrifices that have been made for the freedoms of this nation. I fear that a lot of kids may not know the importance of having Christ in their lives and reading the Bible. Yeah, I think that's a fear, but isn't that always been a fear, though? I think the good people still rise up. I think middle America is still strong, despite some of the things that have happened. And I like to think everything will play out correctly there. But do we worry about those things? Yeah, I think so. But when I look at middle America in the eye almost every single night, I feel good about it. I look out there and I see good people. I see families. I see hardworking people that are trying to do things right. You only hear about all the bad. You don't ever hear about all the good. And I still believe in my heart that most of this nation is good. So do we worry? Yeah. I worry when uh, when I look today and see these ISIS people putting people in cages and dunking them in the ocean and drowning them in a cage. I mean, this is incredible what's going on over there. And then I look and I see a government here that seems to not even be paying attention to it. That worries me. Well, I mean, you know,
2: I think it's it's funny you say that to you that you look out and you see all all these good people, because I think, you know, you can get sort of jaded by the media and by entertainment because you sort of see one message all the time. And you think, well, a variety of messages that may not be. Um, an example of what all of those people stand for or believe. And then you see polls come out and you see where people stand on things and you think, well, this is so, it's just so weird. It doesn't always add up what you're seeing to what the reality is on, on some of these things. And I think faith in young people is, is a big thing. And I love what you said about people not getting those values and you had outlined some of those things that your parents had had given to you. And I think young people now, people 18 to you know 35 even at this point, that's like the first generation that I think has been hit with a lot, of these, um, a lot of these messages and really has sort of been affected by that. And we also see they're the most atheist, the most disconnected from God of any other generation at that point. So, yeah, there's definitely concerns, but I think you're right. I think the good people do, do rise. And, uh, well, I guess in that vein, one other question for you that had popped in my head I was just going to say,
1: though, I was just going to say to that point, I blame, the, I blame a lot of the leadership in this nation for this. I'm not going to sit here and come down hard on Obama, but I've got to tell you, this progressive left-wing thinking that has split this country in half to last, well, for a while, uh, I think has affected our young people because it's easier to go with that than to go with the values. Let's let the government take care of everything. The government, and if we don't make it, we can get a check. I can make more from the government than I can working. I've heard a lot of 20 something say that. So this, this progressive, left-wing, let's-get-further-away-from-God attitude that has been prevalent in a lot of our leaders, our president and probably at the head of it, uh, I think is a reason for a lot of the problems. I think that we can heal a lot of this up very, very quickly if we could get the right kind of person in office. I don't know who that is. I follow politics. You do, too. I don't know who the right one is. I know right now that any one of them 250 Republicans that are running for president are better than the one we got 10, 10, 10 miles down the road every day. <laughs> but, that's, again, that's, that's me flaunting my, my general opinion yeah, <laughs> at, at the right. blaze. But, and I, and, I, you know, and I, I'm a fan of the blaze. I know where you guys stand on things, and I sure. know that, you, that you're in that camp as well. But we just need to be prayerful, man. We need, yeah. to, we need to put Christ first in our lives, and then everything else will indeed fall in place. And hopefully we can get the message out to these young people that the government is not the answer to whatever it is they're doing. But Jesus Christ is.
2: Yeah. What would you say, I mean, when we talk about lessons and we talk about the lessons your parents taught you, what has uh, been the biggest lesson that you've learned just through music and through your career, uh, be it about hard work, be it about the music industry? What has been the thing that has stuck out to you the most?
1: Well, I think the hard work issue is very, very important. You know, a lot of people, again, sit around with that, where's my limo attitude? Well, you can stand on a corner and wait for that limo all <laughs> you want to. But hard work, I mean, success is, is work. You know, you've got to have one, your, uh, your hard hat, your work pants, man. It, it don't just happen. You've got to put in the time. You've got to pay your dues. You've got to believe in yourself and in your talent. And I've been fortunate because I have been in a group a group that that has good morals and good foundation and good forward-thinking attitudes. and I mean, with the Oak Ridge Boys, it's never, man, how are we going to slow down? It's what are we going to do next year? How's it going to get better? I say in the book uh, that I I, I believe it will only be God will tell us when to stop because, man, we're singing songs, why quit? And um, I, I I really think that for myself personally, having brothers to lean upon. You know, when you're that one guy out there, you're the big superstar. Everybody's pretty much kissing your butt, telling you what you want to hear. And very rarely are people truthful with you. Yeah. If you have a couple of close, close friends that are, that are honest or a good wife that's honest, praise the Lord. But I've got a bunch of guys around me that if one guy falters a little, you got three guys to lean on that are going to be truthful and tell you. And if you're slipping up, they're going to say, hey, man, you're, you're not right on that one. And then you go, "Wait, wait a minute, he's right. And sometimes I have a great idea and I can think it through, but then a Dwayne Allen will think it through even further. It's the glory of being in a group. And I've, again, I'm just so blessed, I think, that I've been able to spend my life with the Oak Ridge Boys. I don't know how I, I might have made it any other way except to be in this group, and I'm, I'm very thankful for it.
2: Well, I mean, it's again, <clears throat> it's an amazing testament to hard work. I think the the biggest piece of evidence that anybody could have that your message about hard work is a good one is the fact that you guys again have been around for decades now
1: <laughs> and continue. And to and it's more hard work anybody. to stay there. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, it don't all just happen. Now you still got to work. I've got to leave town tonight. I got to get on the bus. I got to go to Logan, West Virginia, and do a big show there tomorrow night. Then I got to head for Hartville, Ohio, and do three shows there. Then we got a bus all the way back to Dover, Delaware to do the Big Barrel Country Music Festival on Sunday. Hmm. Well, that's, that's all not that easy, yep. but it ain't that hard either. Right. It's, it's doing what you do. It's what you do. I have a chapter in the book called What is Hard, What is Not. I basically illustrated in that chapter that singing songs and traveling on a bus and spending the day in a hotel room and stuff really isn't that hard. It's being away from your family that's hard.
3: hmm
2: And why did you write the book? Tell me, because I know, I mean, I'm fascinated by just the career, and I can't wait to dive into the book. What was your motivation for doing
1: it? Well, I have to give Harvest House the credit. What happened was, two years ago, everybody at Harvest House publishers came out to hear the Oak Ridge Boys do our Christmas show in Eugene, Oregon, which is where they're based. And we played our Christmas show at the big performing arts center there. And they all were blown away with the fact that at the end of the show, we really paid tribute to the birth of Christ and Christmas and what Christmas is all about. And that just really impressed them. And um, one of the head editors there bought a couple of my books. They had a book out called From My Perspective, which is a book of commentaries and views on different things. And he bought, they bought G.I. Joe and Lily. And they, he took them home and read them and says, Man, I love this guy's voice. That's how he put it. I love this guy's voice. I love his attitude. I love what the Oak Ridge boys are about, man. We need to find this guy. We need to meet with him. He needs to write a book for us or, or two or three. They really liked me that much, which is really an honor for me. Well, eventually I met with with them, and I said, well, what do you want me to write? And he said, I think you should write a book on the Oak Ridge Boys, an inside look at this group. Uh, Their original idea was called The Wit and Wisdom of the Oak Ridge Boys, which eventually I turned into on the road with the Oak Ridge Boys. Tell some stories that have never been told. You guys in our American institution, there's got to be something there that you can write about that, that people will enjoy reading about the Oaks, not just fans, but, you know, everyone. Well, I said, of course, as writers always do, oh, I can do that. Well, <laughs> I came home and thought, oh, my gosh, what do I do? <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I started writing, and I started with that chapter called Phenomenon that's in the very beginning of the prologue, where my wife and I were singing across from the group on a, on a night we were leaving town, and my wife turned to me with tears in her eyes, and she don't usually do this kind of thing, and she said, that's just a phenomenon over there, what's going on. And the whole life of the road musician was playing out right there in that parking lot, guys coming in, getting dropped off by their families or getting there by themselves, boarding the bus to leave town for some big fair in somewhere USA. So I wrote that chapter. Well, then I said, well, now let me write about the boys. So I wrote a chapter where I concentrated on the four guys. Then October 73, well, that's when I joined. Let me write this chapter. Then I started thinking the show, the bus, the tour, the Christmas tour, a chap, the music, the songs. And I started going. Well, I wrote about five of those kind of chapters, and I sent them to, to, uh, to, to the publisher. I said, hey, this is the way I'm going here. I said, I don't know. It's kind of a fly-on-the-wall look at the Oaks. I don't know if this is what you want or not, but if it's not, you've got to tell me. And um, they said, oh, my gosh, this is exactly what we wanted. Stay the course. Good. So I just kept writing in that style, and what the book ended up to be is the Oak Ridge Boys, here we are. Here's how we've done it. Here's how we do it. And it's become a, a a how-to book. It's a great handbook for the young person that wants to be in the music industry. Read this thing; you will learn a lot. It's informative. There's a lot of humor in it, and it's more spiritual than you might think.
2: Hmm. I love it. So well, I-, I might start. I might start bothering you for advice because I'm actually starting. My first book, and um, it's Billy, an Billy can process. use all the help he can get. Trust me.
1: <laughs> well, you know what? This is my tenth book, and I'll tell you what I've learned. I I've, I've written a lot of commentaries and magazines and things like that, and um, I, I have just learned that what you do is you just sit and write your heart. Fix it later. You know, look at it later and fix and edit or reformat or add something you just thought of or take away something that didn't read as well. But, man, the first thing you do is open up a page and just write. Don't even think about anything except, man, say a prayer and say, God, help me write this. Because, you know, to me, everything I have written thus far has always had an element of God and spirituality or Christianity in there somewhere. To me, it's important. Um, I don't know how I could write without it. To me, the writing is a little bit of a tinkling symbol. If if there's not something in there that that people can use in their lives and, and find some relevance... In uh, for their personal lives, and of course that relevance is always uh, the gospel. And so I, I can't—I've never been able to write anything and leave it out. I've got this incredibly goofy fiction book going, and my agent loves this book. And Harvest House is kind of sniffing around now. Wonder what I'm going to write next. And so Kathy says, I, I think they would love this book, but you've got to add a Christian element to it. Well, it was just kind of practice writing to begin with, and as I look at it, I don't even know any way to add a Christian element to it. I never thought it would even be a book. I'm just making up a story in my head, you know? But uh, now I'm starting to think, well, how can I make this a Christian book? I don't know. I may have to start new with something else, but it's a time travel love romance civil war slash. <laughs> you will oh, wow. probably never see it. You'll probably <laughs> never see it. So I gotta. It'll ask. It'll probably never appear anywhere, but on my Apple laptop.
0: <laughs> so, Joe, I, I gotta ask. You said you you this is your tenth. This is your tenth book.
1: Yeah, I wrote a bunch of children's books in the early days, the Molly the Cat book so, series, so, so, for so, Ideal's children's books, and and even in those books, I had uh, the God of All Creatures guiding my cats in the books, and uh, they were very popular. Actually, that's what really got my writing career going was the Molly books.
0: Wow. So I, I was just gonna say, ten books. That's. That's pretty good for uh, someone that the that the uh, the media would tell us is just a southern dullard who wears a who wears or waves a Confederate flag. You know.
1: Yeah, well, that's true, man. Well, <laughs> you know, I've got five uh, five children's books. I got the Oakridge Boys had a song years ago called "The Inconvenient Christmas," mm. and I wrote a I wrote a book based on the Inconvenient Christmas called that. And it's a pretty cool little children's Christmas book, to be honest. And uh, being the theme of the song is the most thing you think you're having an inconvenient Christmas. The most right. inconvenient Christmas was the first one. And yep. uh, that's what the book is about, and it's it's pretty cool and I wrote a book of short stories called Christmas Miracles wow. I'm good at Christmas man, Christmas <laughs> is my thing <laughs> so, and uh, yeah, you got the we're Christmas on our tour <laughs> cool. oh my gosh, everything's Christmas. So I think about Christmas most of the year it's crazy I mean I, you know you, you, you see you see stuff in the stores for Christmas in July, and it, like, upsets you. And then I think to myself, what are we going to be singing on the Christmas tour this year? So yeah. I guess I'm the same way.
0: <laughs> so I, I got to tell you, one of my one of my all-time favorite Christmas songs is a song that isn't even really a Christmas song, but it's on your Christmas album, and I'm sure you do it on the tour, and that's the Thank God for Kids song. Um but well, you that, know, Thank God for Kids was on for our
1: first Christmas album, right. and what happened was Eddie Raven brought us the song, and we loved it. And we put it on there because we thought it was cool. Then NCA Records at the time wanted a single from the Christmas album. Yeah. And we all decided, well, Thank God for Kids might be a cool single. How cool would it be to have a, a hit song with a song that said Thank God for Kids? Well, man, that happened. Yeah. Thank God for Kids went gangbusters. And yeah. then Christmas ended that year. And Thank God for Kids was the number one country record all through January and February yeah. of the next year. So although it kind of started as a Christmas song... It has become, you know, one of our flagship songs.
0: My, my folks got rid of their record players, so they gave me all their old vinyl, and I'm just kind of, I don't know, I've just got some sort of weird quirk in my life, and I just love vinyl. And one of them is the original Oak Ridge Boys Christmas album with Thank God for Kids on it. I just, To me, that song was a game-changer song as far as Christmas music goes. You know, there's the old hymns and the traditional songs, but then that one was like, here's a song that's not your traditional Christmas song, but is something that I have to listen to 50 times every Christmas season at a minimum.
1: Yeah, I'm telling you that the song was a, a life-changer for a lot of people. It's a, it's a big song. It's still one of our most requested songs today, and mm. uh, and we definitely sing it on every Christmas tour. Yeah, it's got to yeah. be there. Yeah, oh, man. You know, a lot of people grew up with that Oak Ridge Boy Christmas album I back know. in the early 80s. Yeah. That was a big, big, big album.
3: Yeah,
0: so, I got, so let me ask you another question, gospel-related. Before you, mm-hmm. you started in, in 73, right, with the Oak Ridge Boys?
1: I joined in 73, yes. So
0: before that, and, and well before that, in the 50s and 60s, they were known more as a gospel group, and then they became known as a country group. Was that on purpose? Did they make a shift?
1: Well, the Oak Ridge Boys then go to bed as a gospel quartet and wake up as country music hit makers. It was quite a process. Yeah. And I, I do urge you, if you read anything in the book, read the chapter called Gospel Music. It really illustrates what the Oak Ridge Boys accomplished back before Richard and I joined them when they were the top gospel group in the nation in the late 60s, early 70s, and um, and how the whole paradigm of southern gospel started to change and shift and move, and how Christian contemporary music began at that same time, and how the Oak Ridge Boys were a little bit caught in the middle between being uh, a little more... Pop-oriented in what we did, we we didn't like the southern gospel music mold very much. We kept moving forward. We were the first group to hire a full band. We were the first group to grow our hair a little longer, God forbid. We were the first (laughs) group to not dress alike as like a quartet thing. We would come out in sweaters and cool shirts and not look like a gospel quartet. And in so doing, we upset a lot of people. Well, a lot of dates started falling out of our book. In the middle '70s, we were starving. Johnny Cash took us on the road with him and paid us more than we were worth just to keep our head above water. Mm. Johnny, Johnny Cash was, if we're not for Johnny Cash, we wouldn't even be here today. But we, we did the ultimate sin in 1974 and 75 with Cash. We played Vegas. oh. Johnny Cash took us to Las Vegas. It didn't matter that we only sang gospel songs. It didn't matter that we came out at the end of the show and sang the fourth man with Johnny in June. What mattered was the Oaks sinned greatly and played Las Vegas. Mm. And all the stodgy old promoters in gospel back then, it wasn't like us much anyway, gave him a good excuse to say, no more Oak Ridge Boys. What's so we man? started, we met our, our manager who's been our manager since 1975 during that time, Jim Halsey. Jim Halsey said, you guys got the greatest show I have ever seen. You've learned how to sing in gospel. Now, let's progress forward. Let's start filling your date with books that will start paying you some money where you can pay your bills. Let's get you off this record label and on another one that will be able to help build your career, and let's get you some hit records. You're three minutes away from being a major country act. And, and, and then continue to sing your gospel because it's great, but your whole show can't be that. And get off the fence with them birds and the bees and the sunshine songs uh, and start singing some country.
0: So what's, what's And then all- we'll,
1: start, we'll start building your career from there. That's and awesome. in 1977, we had our first big country hit, and it was gangbusters from there.
0: So was, was Halsey uh, uh, Wayland's agent or uh, manager?
1: No, but Jim Halsey had, the, at that time, the biggest book and agency and management firm there was. And he, he, he managed a lot of people. Roy Clark, Tammy Winnett, the list went on and on and on back then. Uh, Mel Tillis, he had them all in his stable. Yeah. And eventually we ended up in his stable as well, and wow. that's what started our career wow. going right. Wow, wow, wow.
0: So I gotta, I was, a good story. So I was going to wrap up here, but i got to mm-hmm. ask, what was it like working with Johnny?
1: I love Johnny Cash. I thought Johnny Cash was a great guy. He had his demons. Yeah. He seemed to fight them all the time, but, boy, he always tried his best to stay on the positive side of it. He, he had his abuse problems, and then he'd kick it, and then he'd kind of go back to it and kick it again. I ran into him one day at Eckerd's Drugstore here in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Whenever I saw John, I, it almost made me want to cry because I just loved the guy. Yeah. And he put his arms around me, and I said, How you doing, John? And he said, I'm fighting the fight, but thank, thank the good Lord, I'm staying ahead of it. Good. So, and I think that was Johnny Cash to, to to a man. And and Johnny was just such a presence. I mean, my goodness gracious. Him and June Carter, they yeah. were just wonderful people. <laughs> and uh, when Johnny was inducted into the country, Gospel Music Hall of Fame, we were the ones that inducted him uh, after he died, of, uh, of course. But right. he's another one of those that's in both, by the way, yeah. Elvis and Johnny Cash. I think Tennessee Ernie Ford yep. and Oak Ridge Boys and maybe Dolly Parton. I may have that one wrong, but I know we're all in both Hall of Fames. Yeah. Just to, go retro to our earlier discussion. That's but all right. Johnny Cash was a big deal to us. Um, to go over there, he would call us up at night, and say, hey, guys, I've got a song idea here. Come on over. I want you to <laughs> sing with me. And we'd just all gather up and go over to Johnny Cash's house and get in a circle and sing. Wow.
0: That's just I mean, it was, it was huge. Wow. So... Um... Did you see the music? I used
1: to think we're going to make it someday because Johnny Cash said we were. Yeah. That's how I felt about Johnny.
0: Yeah, well, and you know what? I think you're, I mean, that's a pretty good, I think it's a pretty good barometer to have. Johnny Cash says we're going to make it, we're going to make it, you know? Well,
1: in 1978, the Country Music Association Awards were held in Nashville at the, at the uh, uh, country, at the, at the Opry House. And Johnny Cash was hosting. And I forget who even came out to present Vocal Group of the Year. But it went to the Oak Ridge Boys. Everybody screened and everything, and you they all want to run up there and get our award. But we didn't run up to the podium to get our award. We all ran to Johnny, mm. and 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 we did a group hug long before group hugs were fashionable. <laughs> and the four of us and Johnny Cash behind his hosting podium. Johnny said, "See, I told you." Now go get your award. That's awesome. So I know, man.
0: Did you see? Did you see the movie Walk the Line with Joaquin Phoenix? Yeah. Did Did you think that that was a fair portrayal of Johnny? And June?
1: I thought it was pretty fair, It, it uh, you know, especially in Johnny's younger days when he was just really crazy. Everybody yeah. knew how crazy Johnny Cash was. Right. Hmm. And uh, I think he went through a lot of crazy years there, and um, I think it portrayed him pretty well. I'll tell you a little side story. When I went to Johnny Cash's funeral, my wife says to me, there's Joaquin Phoenix in the parking lot smoking a cigarette. And I looked over there, and there was this car parked, and he was standing there smoking a cigarette, Joaquin Phoenix. And I thought, that is Joaquin Phoenix. Well, I'll be darned. And then I found out later on that he had... Before Johnny died, he had been spending a couple of weeks with John talking about his life because he was to portray him in the movie. None of us even knew that then. Wow. Yeah, I thought Uh that was kind of cool. I said, yeah, how about that? Joaquin Phoenix is there. He's coming to Johnny's funeral. How about that? (laughs) Next thing you know, you hear the whole whole, whole story. Wow, that's pretty cool. Wow,
0: that's just, well... So, you know, we've, we've taken enough of your time, Joe, but anything you've got this, this new book, On the Road with the Oak Ridge Boys. Anything that you wanted to plug from that book or tell people about the book that we haven't covered that you wanted, wanted to share or want people to take with them?
1: Well, again, I think the people that love the Oak Ridge Boys will love every word of every page of yes. this book, and they have been. I mean, this book is doing well, and people are reading it and loving it. The reviews have been great, even beyond my expectations, to be honest. Hmm. and I think if people don't love the Oak Ridge Boys, it's still a good ride, and it's still a good read. If you're an up-and-coming person that wants to learn about how to do it in the music business and how to do it right, it's a must-read. I think it should be in colleges like Belmont University, here in Nashville where kids are studying the music business. I think it should be in every classroom, Hmm. and that's not me that said that. Others have said it, but I think they're right. And I just hope people will give it a chance. It's called On the Road with the Oak Ridge Boys, the easiest way to get it go to amazon.com, put on the road with the Oak Ridge boys. Boom. Up it comes. Oh, boom. It's available in Kindle. It's in the iBook store. It's, uh, it's, it's at bookstores everywhere. I know books a million certainly has it in their stores. Right. And, uh, but go to amazon.com. If you want to go to com. that's my website. You can read about the book there and read some of my commentaries and things, uh-huh. but, uh, I hope people will check out the book. I think it'll be a blessing to them. I think they'll enjoy it. And like I said, there's a few good laughs in there, too.
0: I'm sure they will. And I'll tell you, and I'm not just blowing smoke here. The next two things that I'm going to do when we, when we get done with this interview with you is, one, I'm going to go get the book, go, go order the book, and the other is I'm going to call my father and rub it into him that I just talked to you for the last <laughs> 30 minutes. I mean, well, he's going to blow a gasket. Well, you do, you
1: do, please give your dad my regards. I and, will, uh, absolutely. And, oh. and I'll tell you what, I'm following both you guys on Twitter now. I'm Perfect. at Joe Bonzel on Twitter. Let me know what you think of the book when you read it.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so we much, will. Joe. We will, and our apologies that you're subjected to our, our Twitter feed. So.
1: <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's okay. I apologize for you being subjected to mine, my brother. I'm telling you. <laughs> Hey, no, well, me, listen, I'm, really I'm just crazy. I'm, I'm crazy out there.
2: Oh, <laughs> we really you, appreciate you taking the time. Yes, thank you, thank you.
1: Well, thank you, and I don't know if you have, how close uh, you guys stay in touch with Glenn Beck, but if you do see him walk in the hallways or somewhere or the blaze, would you tell him how much all the Oakridge boys really appreciate what he does and what he has stood for all these years? We
0: will. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. You bet. Much appreciated. All thank right. you. Thanks, Joe. I'm honored. I'm honored to be. Uh, on the blaze today I, I love I love what you guys Great. are doing thank you
0: thank you Joe thank you I'll talk to
2: you later see you guys bye-bye and that was Joe 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 Chris's <laughs> new best friend apparently I think which, I've been replaced okay. Joe's gonna be replacing me on the church boys starting this week
0: okay and so and by the way you heard me say I was gonna mention my dad and I called my dad up right after we got off the phone with Joe And I said dad you'll never guess who I talked to and he was a little bit jealous which was which was fine with me now that interview as fun as it was pales in the comparison to another interview we've got coming up and it will it's not going to be on this episode we're going to put in another episode or do as a free i don't
2: mean to steal your thunder but i disagree but okay
0: well no this interview was great and joe Joe, was great but i'm talking about you and i are on different pages maybe joe should be my friend i'm talking no i'm talking about you know how you accused me of being a great joe moore go ahead listen it was a great day two days in a row of interviews that i got to be a part of because our next interview is with a guy named Ken Mansfield. And you were even more questioning my sexuality when we got done <laughs> oh with, the, with the interview with Ken Mansfield. When I hear and Beatles, Mansfield, my was, eyes glaze over. Mansfield, Mansfield was. <laughs> what? When you hear I'm what? I'm kidding. <laughs> When you Mansfield was the was the the manager the U.S. manager of uh, Apple Records for the Beatles, and he was also the Beatles of the liaison between the U.S. and the U.K. and all this stuff, and he's got a whole ton of stories about the Beatles and other things, and we got into some of that, but we also got into his new book that he's got. But we're not going to spoil that for you. That'll come up uh, here in the next day or two. We will put that out there for you. It's really great. Anyway, so it was a great couple of days for me. I was just I could have talked to both those guys for hours and hours and hours on end. Billy, Billy, as as you have found in, in these interviews with with people of any real significance is an uncultured boob. And so Bill is just looking at me like you're so stupid.
3: You're <laughs> stupid. <such a> dick.
0: <laughs> stupid. It's you know who you sound like? Say do your stupid thing. So stupid. Stupid. No do you like you usually do.
3: You're so stupid.
0: Get, now see now you're doing a gangster. When he does it normally, you sound like the guy on the honey badger videos. I
2: can't with you. I cannot.
0: <laughs> I, okay, I really can't. Billy has to go. He's, he's looking at me like, I got to go. I'm so tired of dealing with you. I had a day off today, and now I've got to spend time with you. So-
3: I'm getting ready to do something, too. What? I'm running for president. <laughs> Sorry. Donald Hillary. I've now been in 57 <laughs> states. I think one left to go.
0: Okay, so this is you. This is what. What's that program called? This is the app called because Dub Smash. I'm obsessed Dubs, with it. You are, and it's it's very disturbing. How does it work? Tell me what it is before before we go. You've interrupted now. We have to tell people what this is.
1: I I poop at parties. <laughs> I poop at parties, but oh. people don't know because I close the door. <laughs> oh,
2: okay. It's this thing that you'll, lets you there, dub over. It's like you get to mouth these audio clips and it's hilarious. Like it, I don't know how to describe it. Is it like
0: it. karaoke? Is it on the screen? You
2: follow it on the screen? No, you just have to remember it and then do it. And oh, they okay. show you like where the sound is and you just have to do it.
0: Interesting. So I, I
2: have, I, my wife have, is actually going to murder me. Have
0: you, have you been posting these on Facebook or Twitter or someplace? Yes. People I've lost place? a lot okay. of followers. Of course. Good. Cause it's disturbing. <laughs> All right. Any advice for the, as you, as you hustle off to please your wife and, but that sounded weird as you hustle <laughs> off to keep your wife from killing you
2: and the church boys loses its G rating um,
0: <laughs> any advice for the people out there
2: read your constitution
0: and <laughs> the blaze
2: yeah. wait
0: we'll talk to you later <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. bye <Bye-bye>. bye <laughs>
3: church ball.